everyone. I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Futura Talks. Today, I am very excited to be sitting down in conversation with Mia Zambrano. Mia is a mental health therapist and performance consultant. She utilizes her many years of experience in her therapy practice and evidence-based modalities to support highly competitive and driven individuals and teams to achieve success through enhancing their mentality and optimizing their performance. Mia works with athletes, business professionals, entrepreneurs, and any individual or group who is wanting to understand how to improve their performance in their desired area. Mia is also a former Division I college soccer player. And I'm really excited to have Mia on today because I know there are a lot of similarities between entrepreneurship and sports. If you think about the competitiveness, you know, the wins, the losses or failures, all of the work that is done behind the scenes before ever reaching a public arena, the loneliness, all the sacrifices. So, you know, the list can go on. And with so many similarities, I find it interesting how it is completely normalized to have a coach or trainer in sport. However, not as much in business, although I will say it has certainly been gaining popularity in recent years. Personally, I actually have a mindset coach and she has helped me in so many areas of my life and business, so much so that I cannot imagine not ever having a coach. Uh, It's hard to get to where you want to get to alone or from the level that you're at and having a coach that has walked the path before you can really help you to level up and to help you see your own blind spot. So today we're actually going to dive in with Mia, learn a little more about her and who she works with. And then we're going to dive into a topic that she is an expert in and one that you guys already know that I love to talk about on this show and that is failure. And more importantly, how to free yourself from the fear of failure. So Mia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Farah. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Just, you know, the audience doesn't know this, but we are actually in this kind of coaching group together. So Mm -hmm. it's been fun getting to know you and it's nice to be able to sit down with you in this format today. So before we dive in to the main topic, I would love for you to tell us about your upbringing and what you were like as a child. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on today. So my upbringing, I grew up in the burbs of New Jersey. So 
from the States, uh, you know, North Jersey, I was maybe 35 minutes outside of New York City, but it was a super small town. I mean, like 1.2 square miles small. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, like there was a post office. That was it. <laughs> I mean, the town mm-hmm. next to us had plenty, but it was just, it was a really cool upbringing because it was very small town feel. It was, you know, I was, I was very blessed to grow up in a nice area. So that was very much my beginnings. And I was constantly in sports. I was just, I mean, from four years old, I was in karate consistently. I was kicking a ball as soon as I could and playing in a bunch of other sports as well. So I always had a very regimented schedule. Um, Yeah, I was, I was lucky to have my mom home with me. My, my parents divorced really young. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with that. And while I had a ton of love and support around me, it was something that I didn't feel like anyone else could understand. So they always say, like, you know, be who you needed when you were younger. So that was just something big for me. I, I There were 35 kids in my entire grade. And for the majority of that elementary school experience, no one else had divorced parents. So again, very lucky to have the love and everything around me. It's just something that like didn't make sense. And I felt like no one really understood. So that yeah. just became kind of part of that system. And and my mom jokes, she's like, the only call I ever got home from you for school was you trying to break up a fight between two older boys. <laughs> so oh, wow. Like that's the only time they called. And, and yeah. that just speaks to your personality. I'm the oldest child. So that's a yeah. little bit about me. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I think, you know, it's always interesting to, to learn about people and, you know, what their early days were like. So thank you mm-hmm. for sharing that. So, yeah. you know, you broke up that fight in school, <laughs> um, but tell, tell us more about your journey from, you know, high school all the way then to before you ended up leaving the corporate world to start your own business. What was the path? that? Sure. You yeah. Yeah. The path. So there was kind of like two parallel stories that ultimately end up merging, which is really cool. So I, again, I had this really intense athlete side where, you know, my friends were going out and doing all these things on the weekends. And I was traveling for soccer and I was, you know, varsity captain and doing all these things that I absolutely loved. My major goal was to be a division one soccer player. And I pursued that. And ultimately that came to fruition on the, you know, academic side also with someone, I I feel like it doesn't just happen in one area of your life. If you're someone who's very competitive and, and wants that, it tends to be across the board. So I really strive to get good grades because I was so regimented. It was, you know, get home from school, go to practice, do your work, go to bed, wake up and do it again. So I think ultimately that was really helpful. But I remember, you know, what sticks out to me about high school was that was the first psychology class I took. And it was just one of those things where it clicked and it just made so much sense to me. And I think that was the first time I had the thought of why is this not part of the core curriculum? It's literally like part of it was an elective, right? It was an elective. It was totally an elective. And it was one of those things where just like those aha moments, like this is the foundation of what makes us human. It's basically learning about our governing system, our brain that manages and kind of informs everything. Why are we not talking about this more? So that was my first real peek in it and stuff that made sense for me, stuff that made sense for family members, for friends. And it just, it was a nice beginning to that. And that kind of informed a really easy decision for me personally to go to Sacred Heart University, where I played Division One soccer and also pursued my bachelor's in psychology. They had mm-hmm. an incredible program. And yeah, just kind of reinforced and through my college experience, actually. So it started because 
as athletes, we were encouraged to do some type of volunteer work. Okay. And I remember, so even though it was technically, the, the address says Fairfield, but we are awfully close to Bridgeport, Connecticut. So mm-hmm. we went in and Bridgeport has some really tough areas. So mm-hmm. part of the volunteer opportunity I started with was going into the elementary schools. Okay. And very much inner city. It was really tough. There's a lot of behavioral issues. That was the part of it. And that kind of inspired me to take the initiative. I think it was my junior year to actually start working as part of a mentoring program, going into the high schools to help the kids and just kind of help guide them and problem solve and understand their emotional experiences and and whatever hardships they may be going through. And that just kind of grew. I knew I wanted to be on the counseling side of things. And at the time, um, believe it or not, going back a bit, but Sacred Mm -hmm. Heart didn't have a social work program. And I looked into some of the major ones at the time in Boston University stuck out mm-hmm. and they were, I, I believe they were top 10 in the nation at the time. So I applied and was, you know, kept my fingers, my toes crossed and got in and fell in love with the city. I started my practice up there mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I worked in a number of settings while I was up there. I was up there for about six years practicing okay. everything from school base to uh, agency to small group private practice and then moved down to Florida went back to agency just because I was unfamiliar with the area and had mm-hmm. no kind of resources down here and then started my own business wow so that's the cliff notes version <laughs> well I love it because through you know the through line through that whole story is just really following your your passion your desire mm-hmm. your interests and it seems like not really getting too influenced by what others were doing or, or you, yeah. you know what what was happening around you to say okay I just really like psychology so now I'm going to pursue this and pursue it to it's fullest. And I'm going to really get the, like, you know, the practical knowledge that you got yeah. from actually going into those schools and saying, well, now I, this is leading me to my next step, which is social mm-hmm. work. Right. Um, and I think it's so nice when it's, you know, you're really listening to your voice and following that next step and, uh, yeah. you know, but doing that simultaneously while, you know, being an athlete as well, how did you, you know, balance the two? Because I'm sure that was a really busy time in life when you were in school. It was a really busy time. I think, you know, part of it may be my personality. And the other part was just because it was such a high level in both aspects of what I was doing, there was a little bit less room for error. And I found that especially with people who struggle with anxiety, that the more structure you have, it Mm. tends to be the easier it is. There's of course pressure and there's stressful moments. And, you know, we've all had that epic college breakdown, right? But, and and even beyond. So, you know, as entrepreneurs and business professionals, we all have those moments in those days. So I think that having the structure was ultimately extremely helpful. It really kept me motivated on point. And to your point, like I, I felt really, really fortunate to have this one passion that was Mm. the kind of the common stream and it evolved and it grew, which also was really cool. I have a creative side. And while I love the traditional therapy, I always knew I had to do a little bit more to really stay invested. I mean, it's no secret that there's this extremely high burnout rate in that area, high turnover in in a lot of the jobs and, and again, the agency setting, especially. Sure. So I knew from early on that I needed to make it my own and Mm -hmm. I needed to have my own twist to it. And I actually, I published a children's book, like right out of grad school 
So that was fun. I started a blog because I was just getting, you know, the common theme question was, how do you do this? Like, how do you preserve your own well being while you're trying to constantly help Mm. others? And I started a blog out of it. So like, that was that was a really fun project. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of grew from there. And I I like that you, um, you were all, sounds like you were finding the answers from within, right. To say, okay, Mm -hmm. if I know I have anxiety, like, okay, this form of structure helps. Or if I know that this work doing social work is very taxing in it, I see my Mm -hmm. colleagues burning out, like, let me make this my own. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, you know, a true mark of an entrepreneur that at some point you want to take back kind of power over your life and say, I want it to be in my hands. I want to build something the way I want to build it. I want to be able to use my creativity. So tell us about a bit about how you did transition from working at an agency, working in social work to then starting your own um, private practice. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things, and to your point too, we have these these areas of interest, right? And I think there's there's very traditional, you know, quote unquote safe route. I'm I'm using air quotes if you can't see me right now if you're just listening yeah. to audio, but you know, there there is kind of the safe route. And I think depending on, you know, your generation and what was really emphasized as mm-hmm. safe and as desirable, it is kind of that traditional route. Um, that being said, I think we don't realize how much more is available to us. And we're often afraid to pursue it because there isn't as much, you know, initial stability, but, you know, especially with my work, whether it's with athletes or business professionals or entrepreneurs, I think it's, it's hard to know because we're so, so many of us are willing to settle with like, this is good enough, or I'm making enough money or I'm happy enough, or it's working well enough, uh, that once you get to the other side of that, it's like, why did I not do this before? I know. So I know. it's hard to know yeah. it in the moment. And I think I had a lot of those moments where it's like, yeah, this is okay. Like I'm able to support myself, but what is, what would it look like if I did this? And my mm. first major moment of that big Gabrielle Bernstein fan, um, yeah, shameless shout out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I remember I was in the parking lot of my job at the time. It was agency based. I was doing uh, school based and, and in home intensive therapy Mm -hmm. as well and I was sitting in the in the lot and I just remember like trying to tell myself what what would it be like if I wasn't commuting 45 minutes to an hour and a half what would it be like if I felt really inspired and I wasn't tired all the time like what would that look like and that was the first time I remember like the job opportunity happened to come up but it was basically a position in a small private practice in in Hanover Massachusetts Mm -hmm. and (laughs) part of me was like you have absolutely no business doing this. And the other part of me was like, absolutely do it. And Mm. I applied. And I think I got an email back later that day for an interview. And then I was part of that, that group for a bit. It was a few years. And I stayed there until I moved down to Florida. Uh, We had kind of a family migration and some other things that inspired the move. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ended up kind of I wouldn't say it was falling back. I really wouldn't because it was a fabulous opportunity to get trained in other modalities and have a cohort of really prestigious therapists. And I mean, we did intensive outpatient, partial hospitalization, PHP. So we did out like a lot of different levels of care and it was just more incredible learning experiences mm-hmm. that I was able to add to those other years of practice. Okay. And through like gaining all this knowledge, 
it was what I was noticing in my work was I'm getting to this point, right? Because traditional therapy, especially if you're going through insurance, it has to meet medical necessity. So you have mm-hmm. to continue to justify it. You have to provide a diagnosis. And I was noticing where I was getting the most excited. Now, again, I, I do still do traditional therapy, but when I was getting the most excited about the work was when you were seeing these massive shifts and people were starting to meet their goals and, and wanting to pursue more. They were going back to school or they were starting their own business or they had been wildly successful, but absolutely miserable and were able to get back into that space again. And I was like, but this is where we stop the work. This is where I want to keep going. This is where I want to talk yeah. about like how you're showing up and the quality of which and how are you aligning with your values and what are your goals looking like and how are you making sure they're what you want and not what you're supposed to want. So yeah. it was just this extension of this makes so much sense. And kind of what I mentioned earlier, I saw these two kind of narratives of my life that were running parallel just merge into this really cool place of I saw a huge gap in what was needed. Mm-hmm. You have these people that are asking so much of themselves, whether it's physically or or logistically, right? Yeah. And you're not getting the support mentally and emotionally. And if you're asking that much of your body or, or again, mm-hmm. your cognitive process, you're also asking that much, if not more of your emotional and mental. True. Yeah. So that was really where all this came to be and where I decided to go out my own. I had my son and it was just it was one of those things for myself too. It was like, if I want to keep performing how I want to perform, I need to make sure this fits my lifestyle. Yeah, if it's my niche, if it's my, you know, my areas of expertise and what I'm, what I'm good at. And at yeah. that point I had felt really confident in knowing what that looks like. I I love it because, you know, you sort of started to see that there is a bit of a, a missing gap oh, yeah. in how these you know, clients were being served and almost like, imagine you get someone to the place where they're now sort of out of some of the issues that they've been working on, you know, and you've got them to now from survive, they're now surviving, but you want to help them thrive. Mm -hmm. And then you just drop off because a, it's not covered or whatever it might be Mm. like, that's just, that's a huge gap. Right. And I think a lot of people are now focused on like peak performance and and thriving, not, not Mm -hmm. just surviving. Exactly. And you know, how do we, how do you fill that gap? So I, I love that you saw that opportunity, but also saw that like, maybe if I do this on my own, I can have flexibility to build a life around how I want to work, who I exactly. want to work with my schedule, my, you know, you know, timing. And and I think that a lot of times, and I, I love that you're sharing that because a lot of our listeners are sometimes, you know, they're in corporate jobs and they're feeling a bit stuck. They're still, you know, on the grind and, um, not really seeing that maybe you can actually do the work that you love to do in mm-hmm. the way that you want with the, with the types of clients that you want to work mm-hmm. with, because it's now your choice and you can do that on your own. And entrepreneurship can be the, the way to do that. Entrepreneurship is a fancy word to say, I'm just going to go work for myself, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and to start. Right. And maybe you then right. build a team and you grow, you know, maybe, or maybe you're going to follow some big idea to build a new technology that you want to build because of some problem that you see that's not being met, whatever it is, whether you're doing that through, you know, consulting, private practice, building your own business, building out a new company, it's all the same. It's ability, the ability to address a need in the market and then pair your kind of 
way of solving that to exactly. it. Right. That's, yeah. that's how I see it. It's, it's like giving yourself permission to do it your way, mm-hmm. as opposed to fitting into someone else's mold or some, something else's yeah. mold. And there's a beauty in that. Cause if we're all doing the same thing or we're all fitting in these kind of perfect compartments, where's the growth, where's the diversity and where are the Absolutely. needs that are need to be met? And, and some, some might say, well, oh my gosh, there's a million therapists out there, but no mm-hmm. one is going to do it the way that nope. you do based exactly. on like, let, you know, we've already heard your story to date. Like who's going to, who else is going to be able to get, you know, therapy from someone who's been a division one athlete, who's, you know, worked as a social worker, who's all of that kind of perfect mm-hmm. storm to then be able to help in the way that you help. Right. So I love it. So tell, tell us a little bit more actually about the clients and the companies that you work with and that you serve in, and what do you really help them with? So right now where my business has really boomed, if you will, is college level athletes or athletes in general. And to that point, I I just really saw, well, you know, this is a little bit like a, I don't know if I'd call it a personal moment, but I remember I was sitting on the couch one morning and I looked at my phone and there was a news article about an athlete who had committed suicide. Uh, And I started bawling my eyes out. I didn't know this person, but it was just one of those moments where it's like, that could have been a teammate. And it was, it was just like one of those aha moments of at the end of the day, I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are at what you do. I don't care how prestigious of a lover you are. We're all human. Mm -hmm. And we all have mental health, just like we have physical health. And I think that, you know, whether it's problem solving in business or physical training as an athlete it's so much more normalized to just go through that process. And it's not as normalized to basically acknowledge again, that mentally our mental health is the status Mm -hmm. of our mental well-being, just like our physical health is the status of our physical well-being. And it's a huge disservice to not acknowledge or grow or develop this mentality aspect. And they're connected. They're right? extremely, they're completely connected. Right, like if our, our mental, mind and body, yeah. Yeah, if your mental health is not strong, it's going to come out in your results of how you perform physically as well, right? I would imagine. <laughs> it, it's just completely, completely connected. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those, like, I need to do more about this. And I had worked with athletes. I had worked with business professionals. And, you know, we've seen some major, like just big names, whether it's in the entertainment industry or fashion industry, or again, the athletes where you see these tragedies and like, how the heck did this happen? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that just like further again, like just kind of like you were saying the yeah. perfect storm, it just kept making sense to me of do like you, where I needed to fit a need. Do you think there's a bit of, I mean, you probably see this, but like, because of the, maybe in, in sports, like some mm-hmm. of the bravado that comes with playing sports that, you know, we're 100%. meant to be strong and we're not meant oh, yeah. to talk about our weakness. And so a lot of people oh, are yeah. actually suffering. And so maybe that oh, yes. person who took his life was a light bulb moment for you, but for a lot of people of, there's a lot of pressure that comes with performing at this level hundred and that's all mental, right? And yes. if we don't have an outlet or a place to talk about it or normalize it, then we suffer right alone yeah. often. Yep. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about that connection. And if you're asking that much of yourself in one area, you're asking for that across the board. And, yeah, you know, everyone's different in how you need to attend to that. But I think so many of us just don't understand how to attend mm-hmm. to all areas. Or like, if you are, you know, some of you may be thinking like, well, I'm doing just fine. Okay. 
but you probably are attending to your mental health in ways you may not even realize. Now, imagine if you actually did realize, or that was intentional, how much sure. more you might be capable of, right? Or how much you're even having like your... having the awareness, right? Yes, okay. exactly. So, with to your point, though, going back to your lead um, with athletes, I think that there is mm-hmm. this kind of assumption that if you are a high level athlete, you have it together. Yeah. right? You, you, you almost have it easier, right? I've, I've heard that as an athlete, like, oh, you don't have to worry about this, this, and this, or like, you get it easier mm-hmm. here, you get this taken care of. The reality is like, that's a means of survival at this point, because again, you're being asked so much more yeah. in certain aspects. So yeah, well, I to be that- honest, mm-hmm. I, I will, I will share with you that I, you know, Outwardly, I think a lot of people come up to me and, and say, oh, you you seem to be doing great. Your business is great. You're thriving. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, Mm -hmm. and inside it's been a real struggle. Like I left corporate in, you know, 2018, 2019 ish. So it's been about three or four years and it's not been easy even today. I mean, you and I were even chatting last night. Yeah, It's not easy. Right. And when you're going at it alone, for the most part, you know, I have some people that support me now, which is amazing. But, um, for the most part, I've been building this business on my own. And so it's, it's very tough. Like I actually feel like, you know, it's like a sport, right. And you're doing all this work behind the scenes that nobody sees. And then all they see is like, maybe, you know, a result here or there. Um, but most of the work is happening, in a, in a, a vacuum where you're quite lonely, you're dealing with all these mindset issues on your own, the fear of failure, the perfectionism, the, um, what if I put this out there and nobody likes it? The, mm-hmm. am I going to be a success? Will anybody buy my program? Like there's just like this inner real going all oh, yeah. the time. So Absolutely. maybe you can talk about what you see. Cause I know, you, you know, you, you're both, you were an athlete, you coach athletes. Now you're an entrepreneur. What do you mm-hmm. see as sort of the similarities, um, between, sports coaching and, and coaching entrepreneurs? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the, the base, the the basis of the two is again, if you're at that level of prestige and you're pursuing that type of success, whether it's on the field or as a business owner or whatever it may be, there's going to naturally be comparison that comes up. There's going to be self-doubt. There's going to be imposter syndrome because as humans, right? And I know we're going to get into this a little bit more, but you have that fear and the fear is meant to inform you. But I think we don't always know how to navigate that informant. And it often takes over the the steering wheel as opposed to being in maybe the passenger seat or if we're lucky in the back seat. (laughs) And what happens is, you know, we want to do so well and, and take everything else. Fundamentally, we're pack animals, right? We want to be approved. We want to be significant. We want to be seen as valuable and and good at what we do so there's a lot of pressure in that mm-hmm. as an athlete you're you're working on that starting spot or you want your coaches to see your value as a business professional you want other people to see your value so they hire you and so you know you're seen as a top notch so there is naturally a comparison that comes into play and a lot of us are never taught how to navigate that yeah. how to make it more of an effective comparison or how to use that to propel you forward as opposed to hold you back and again, like we don't exist in a vacuum. We're all bringing in these other experiences and whatever seeds were planted in terms of insecurity or self-doubt, those either get watered or they get ripped out of the soil. 
Yeah. And for a lot of us, they get watered. At, you just know, keep nurturing not, these bad yeah, seeds. Yeah, right. And these narratives that like, I have to say so many of us don't even know where that are there. And so again, like that's a lot of my work is the, yeah. uh, the ha ha moments of, I didn't even realize this was something that was coming up for me and that this was a barrier mm-hmm. and, and, tra- and tracing all the way back to maybe when that started, like for me, or- now that I'm doing this work with my coach, it's like, Oh man, this stuff is from mm-hmm. when I'm age zero to seven. Right. Like yeah. that's when it all kind of gets planted in. And at that age, you don't have an awareness. You don't, you don't know what's happening to you. You don't, no. you don't, you're not, and not that anything drastic is per se even happening, but it's starting to shape how you view your world and yourself and your, oh my God. your, uh, your capabilities even. Right. God, it can stop, start from someone calling you annoying in you know, third yeah. grade when you're trying to fit in with everybody. And then, you know, if you have that narrative and all of a sudden you're in sales one day and you feel like you're an inconvenience, guess what? your sales are going to falter. You might not be thinking back to being called annoying at that time. But again, throughout our experiences, things either get reinforced or they get extinguished. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think unless you're aware of that, you don't have the control. There's ways to pull it into your awareness and gain control, of course. For sure. And again, that's not, it's not what a lot of us are exposed to or have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to address unless we pursue it. It's not embedded in our, our school systems. We're not taught thoroughly about how to understand core emotions or navigate them or why they're there we're not taught Mm -hmm. about mentality or how to navigate our cognitive processes or any of that which is is honestly so baffling to me and I I agree I address at some point but (laughs) I I mean I I do think that it needs to start at a much younger age and Mm -hmm. I actually think what we were taught in school was because of the way we were graded it's like a pass or a fail or it's Mm -hmm. I got three wrong and so we're we're always trying not to fail like that's literally the way that you get go through school is don't fail right right? so do you think, you know, I think that helped that, that, that kind of created this fear of failure. And I know myself as an entrepreneur, sure. that is the, that is the biggest thing. Like if I don't get this right, I'm a failure now in corporate. Yes, you might be failing in corporate, but it's kind of like, maybe can, nobody's going to notice. Cause you'll just get the next job and you'll go forward and you'll, you know, it's, if the company fails, that's one thing. But you failing is maybe not as like stand out in corporate, but when you're an entrepreneur and you fail at something, it's like, it's on you. There's no one to blame. You can't pass the buck. So, right. Like it's a little bit different. And so I feel like, you know, I know I deal with a lot of that just sort of, you know, trying not to fail, but the, the bigger part is the fear around the failure. So why do you feel that people are so afraid of failure and more specifically, what is it that they're actually fearing? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that might be a little surprising to sure. some people. I'd love the that. fear of failure is actually very appropriate sometimes. Okay. And here's why. Fear is one of our core emotions. We mm-hmm. are, again, going back to the fundamentals, we're wired for survival. We're human. True. Right? So fear is not something, when, when people... I think like what was really pop culture, really popular for a while was like, be fearless. And yeah, I get like, there, there might be some truth to that, but you don't want to be fearless because fear is meant to help you understand what may not serve you or what may be a threat. Right. Okay. But what, where it really challenges us, where it no longer serves us is where we overshoot that fear, right? Fear mm-hmm. can be a great informant of, Hey, do you have all the information here? 
are you going about this as informed as possible or prepared? Because again, the nature of fear is to try to keep us from undesirable outcomes, mm-hmm. right? So it yeah. serves a function, okay. but again, where, where it overshoots, where it comes to failure, right? Failure is mm-hmm. by nature, pretty undesirable from yeah. a surface level, right? When we think about it, it's like, I don't, want to fail this. I don't want to lose a game. I don't want to lose a ton of money. I don't want to lose a client. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So that's, fear that's so, yeah, help. that's normal. Yeah. Fear, fear tries to help inform us of how to have those undesirable things not happen. Got now it. for a lot of us, if we don't know how to, how to navigate that or what it's trying to tell us, fear becomes something that turns into an avoidant factor. Mm-hmm. So instead of understanding how to overcome or prepare or handle something, we avoid it completely. Yeah, and so so absolutely I uh, hinders the growth. I want to dig in there. So I agree with what you're saying. Like we need the fear to be able to sort of navigate, um, you know, avoiding situations that could be harmful. But would you say that some of the stuff we fear, like, isn't actually harmful? A hundred percent. Let's say my fear sometimes. <laughs> funny enough, I'm working on this with my own coach. Is just like getting on the call and asking, mm-hmm. you know, you know pitching yourself or, you know, getting, getting on a call to say how you could help somebody, right? Like that's literally it. I'm not even trying to sell something. Usually I'm just trying to say how I might be able to be of service, but I have the fear of rejection. Right. And so I don't even do the call. And now that, you know, and I've gotten over some of this, but I'm using this as an example. And then it's like, well, you're not really in business if you're not selling your services, if you're not out there pitching what you do you're not in business. So how do we get over the things that like yes. really aren't true fears? Like, yes, maybe it's coming from a place of fear, but you're not, nothing's going to happen to me when I get rejected. I know this. Yes. And that's, yeah. that's actually a perfect example. Mm-hmm. There's real versus perceived failure. Okay. Let's right? go into that. Yeah. Let's go into that. So when you're talking about, you know, I'm afraid to do this, right? I know and so many of us can relate to it. I used to, whether it was an intake call or whatever, I used to get like the jitters before picking up a yeah. phone too. So it's it's also like asking yourself, what's the threat? Rejection. Okay, fine. We know the threat. Now, how do I rewire that so that I'm going in that I'm prepared? I'm not just picking up the phone without having any conceptualization or knowing what I'm selling, right? I'm prepared in every way I can be, but I'm also checking the facts of, okay, if, if this doesn't go well, is it that I'm being rejected or it wasn't a good fit and this is yeah, no longer serving me. Reframe. So th- there's, it's a refer it's opportunity to reframe. Again, if we're not willing to acknowledge the fear, if we just kind of shove it to the side, it's an alert system that you're pressing snooze on. It's going to get louder and louder. Mm-hmm. And each time it's going to be like, Hey, you sure this is okay. It's like poke, poke, poke. <laughs> and it gets louder until we understand how to, again, like not, not every time that we experience fear, you want to say, okay, yes, this is, this is telling me that this isn't good. No, it's, it's just trying to say, are you aware of the situation? Yeah. And what am I actually fearing? Like, what am I fearing and how do I either problem solve for it or cope ahead? Or how do I act opposite to that? If it's not serving me and there are plenty of times where that is the case. So I think instead of making it the big bad wolf, it's more of just taking it out of the driver's seat and letting it kind of you know, if it needs to, to pop in every once in a while, that's fine, but it's not running the roost. Yeah. Like who's really in control of the operating system here, your fear or you. Right. Right. And 
I think what I've also done too, is I'll, I'll sit back and I'll say, okay, that call didn't go so great, but I either learned something of how I can maybe try to pitch better or maybe it's like, you know what? I actually don't want to work with that person either. So it's fine, right? right? Like this is, this is fine. And on to the next, like if we, if you make a hundred calls and you close 10, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. So, um, and, and I think it becomes like a muscle too, right? Like the more and more you keep doing it, it's like, oh, this is, this is easy. I can do this in my sleep. And I don't even feel like the rejection doesn't do anything to me anymore. Well, that's how we overcome fear. That's you kind of just nailed it is you basically expose yourself to these situations and reinforce this is actually not only just safe, but it's desirable. And I mean, it's like, that's what athletes do. They do the same thing over and over and over again. Like I would imagine the first time you are out on a football field, you are really scared of being tackled. Right. Like, but once you've been knocked down a few times, you're like, okay, I know how to, I know how to block myself. I know how to prepare. I know how to avoid. Yeah. The anticipation of, and almost everything is worse than the actual experience. I can't can't believe I just gave a football analogy. I actually hate football. I think I've watched (laughs) it once, but like, for some reason, that was the most gruesome sport I could think of that like is scary. Oh well, it's, it's appropriate. Um, I, I happen to be a huge football fan, so I can kind of meet you halfway there. But yeah, yeah, no. So I mean, I, literally with anything we do, I think when we're uncertain or again, that that anticipation of the unknown, that's the hardest part. Yeah, And that's why I'm saying like, it's maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but just understanding that we're human, we all have fear instead of trying to avoid it completely, just being able to the more awareness we have of something, the more control we have. Mm-hmm. So instead yeah. of, again, letting it run the show or deter us from things, we can be as best prepared as possible. But there's also a reality in which we need to understand that not all failure is bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Failure can inform us. And it's okay to have informed failure and informed, True. you know, all these things. It's like actually essential, in my opinion. I think that not having those experiences. you know there's there's so many god how many people that are wildly successful outwardly have posts about i've failed this many times yeah i mean and you how to go you have to fail forward you have to fail fast and then you have to ask yourself was that really a failure or was that just me learning along the way right like me me getting a rejection isn't failure it's just like okay i learned something now i can i do the next call hopefully the next call goes better and i think we're quick to give the label of failure to things that are just like everyday life stuff right fair yeah very fair so i'd love to ask you about something else that i know i deal with i'm like okay i'm just gonna get coaching on the spot here but you know i know my fear is often rooted in a lot of of kind of perfectionism, the need to be Mm -hmm. right. I grew up in a household where it was sort of the, you got 99 on a math test, where do you lose the 1%? So I grew up with that for years. And so I had, you know, continually always trying to strive for perfection. Mm -hmm. I call myself now a recovering perfectionist. And I, you know, really try to say like, okay, it's better. Like our, our coach says better done than uh, what does she say? Like get something done rather than having it, it be perfect. perfect. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So how would you, or do you think there's a linkage then between sort of this perfectionism or the need for perfectionism and, you know, trying to stay in and avoid failure then? Oh, there's absolutely yeah. a link. Yeah. I think for so many of us, again, especially if, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're in this space, if this relates to you, 
you are someone that wants big things for yourself, right? Yeah. And yeah. to do that, you're pursuing it wholeheartedly and it's important to you. Now, I, again, you are not alone in this. I think so many of us can relate to it. I know I certainly can. It's, it's this idea of what's reinforced, right? So that like we were just saying before, like what are the seeds that are planted? It's some of us, it's so severe that like our, our value was contingent upon our success, again, air quotes of like what's measurable, right? True. So if I don't do this, I'm not of value or I'm not important or I, I don't get that praise. And especially like younger on, positive reinforcement is something we're always seeking because that's yeah. like, that's how we learn, honestly, a lot of the time. And that's what really like our emotional capacity, that's what feeds into that. We want to feel good. So we're constantly pursuing that. And so the external, a, like the external the validation most, that comes yes, with that. Yeah. The validation, the reward, right. Getting the A that's, that's excellent or getting a hundred that's excellent. And then there's the fear of, well, what if I don't get that? Right. So even if you are someone that's super successful, you're almost then become so afraid of losing it. And that fear yeah. often becomes a barrier. And that's where you get that, like perfect, those perfectionist tendencies of the anticipation of what happens if I don't have this, or if I don't get that again, or if I don't have a year that's the same, if not better. And it, it can be paralyzing which, sometimes, which means what ends up happening because you're so afraid of, okay, if I don't get that, you just don't do the thing anymore. Exactly. Like mm -hmm. as, as you age, right. As, as kids, we just keep going and going, but once you keep living with it, you're like, oh man, I really can't face being a failure. So I'm just not going to do mm -hmm. this because then, you know, no, there's no chance of that even happening. Right. But then exactly. sometimes you're stopping yourself from doing the very things that you need to be a success, to get ahead, to exactly. move your business forward, to mm -hmm. do the, you know, to, to be the success that you actually want to be as perfectionists, we're always striving to be better. So mm -hmm. now if you're, it's kind of like this catch 22. Now, if you're not doing the thing, that can actually get you the thing you really want. Right. Right. Like, which is kind of where I found myself going in a loop and I'm like, no, 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 you got to do the thing. You got to do it imperfectly because what's on the other side is what you really want. Yeah. We don't want to do the pendulum swing because there, there's, again, there's truth. And I tell people, I don't want you to lose that, lose that drive. I don't want you to lose that competitiveness mm -hmm. or that desire for more to do better. It's just, mm -hmm. you can't have it be so intense that it's, it's fear driven as opposed to passion or desire driven. Yeah. I love that. And, yeah. yeah. And that's where, that's where that, that often very, very, very fine line can be of like, I need this to inform me and push me forward as opposed to hold me back. Mm -hmm. Very. Yeah. And I, I love that. I, I always try now, like, you know, I I'm very clear on who I serve and why I do it. And so in the morning I, I get up and I try to remind myself who I'm doing this for and why I'm doing it. And I move from a place of passion and purpose mm -hmm. rather than the fear of failure now, because I'm like, right. if I don't do this thing today, then this purpose doesn't get moved along. My passion, what I love doing doesn't get to be on a bigger scale or doesn't get to actually help anybody. Right. 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 Yeah. Well, I think we were talking about like informed failure. I think one of the biggest failures is not giving ourselves space to go there to like yeah. holding ourselves back like avoidance is I think one of the the highest level concerns in terms of failure mm -hmm. right I'm not worried about you know athletes or people like trying trying something new and, and again doing that in an informed effective way of course right that's different than blind failure but doing something that is 
for the betterment that you figure out, okay, it might not work this way, but it works this way. That's a heck of a lot better mm-hmm. than avoiding it completely. Cause you don't want sitting to on the off. sidelines, not getting up for training. Cause now you're, you're exactly. fearing. Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, what I sometimes do is I try to reframe it to say, well, you're the fear of not actually living your life to your full potential mm-hmm. is a greater fear than not do, doing this like hard thing that you're supposed to do today. Like I let, I kind of do a reverse engineer of the fear to say like, actually you're, it's more scary to know that I might yep. live on this earth and not do all the things I wanted to do yep. that I desired to do because I let fear hold me back from, from it. I, yeah. yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Can you actually share if there's been a fear that you've overcome yourself in your life and you know, oh, what gosh. you sort of learned <laughs> from it and what it was like on the other side, once you kind of overcame it? Oh gosh. And every aspect of life <laughs> like daily, yeah. right? Daily. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she's as well there's there's the side of it as an athlete I was I certainly was kind of like a big fish little pond situation where I guess I went to a regional high school and we were not to toot our horn but we were really good at soccer at the time we were conference champs we were state sectional champs but you know that's a whole different ball game than going into college athletics and also you know I had torn my ACL MCL meniscus I had destroyed my knee and needed reconstructive knee surgery from my senior then to my senior year um from high school from high school college I remember just like having to call my coach and I was bawling because I was just I felt like I had already failed and I didn't even get there yeah yeah so you know there's a fear of that of like what your limitations might be and we were always hit with these different you know plot twists I like to call them now and it's an opportunity to grow or to to cower really so yours was sort of the fear of failure of not being able to perform at the level that you are used to performing or at the level that now was required of you at this college level right yeah i mean like the recovery process and at the time you know not to get too in depth on this but at the mm-hmm. time you were hearing a lot more of some people were having really successful recoveries from this type of mm-hmm. surgery and some people absolutely weren't not, it, yeah. you know even you know, that many years ago, I, I know, 10, 15 years ago, it was a lot different than how it is now. For sure. So, you know, God, yeah, no, more towards 15 years ago. It was, it was a while ago. <laughs> it's but, okay. Uh, we can round up and down. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so it was just one of those, like, again, the unknown. And if I had had, I had let that fear overcome me, I may have not played. I may have played scared and I, Mm. on the contrary, was just like, this is not going to dictate where I want to be. And I ended up getting cleared in five and a half months, which is unheard of. They told me almost a year for the type of procedure I was going to have. And, you know, I'm not saying everything was perfect. There were certainly roadblocks along the way, but that was was guiding you. What was like, what was the thing that you're like, you know, you obviously had a driving force in all of that. Mm. What was it? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, but I just, being an athlete was such a massive part of my identity. Mm. And I don't think it was just because it was something I loved and was good at. I think it was also everything that came along with it. And I have to say, it really started with karate. It's just like the dedication, the, you know, the resilience, the strength, the inner strength that's really bred from those experiences and overcoming. And 
again, there's like, I didn't know what to call it at the time, but there's this rental, mental resilience that's absolutely necessary to push your body to that next level. And mm -hmm. I think the more you get into that, you crave it. Right. Yeah. So like for me, it was, it was a challenge of like, just being able to pick my leg up again, just being able to walk it. Like, it sounds like even now, like having been through it, it's like, sounds like such a wild thing and athletes can relate to this, but I feel like in, you know, that can be so symbolic in so many other ways of for life. Sure. Like we, sometimes we do need to pick ourselves right. up and completely restart. And that can be absolutely terrifying, or it can be grounds to really relearn certain things or reprogram your brain and how you approach things. Yeah. And the reality is these kinds of setbacks, whether physically, emotionally, you know, things that, you know, loss that we might experience job loss, family mm -hmm. loss, like all of it, right. That it's, it's yeah. inevitable. All of us yeah. are going to go through that. Right. So, you know, how do we start to maybe, you know, start thinking about how we can embrace that failure, knowing that it's going to happen. Right. How do we, how, how can we reframe that for ourselves? Or do you think it's important that we should start to be able to embrace failure? Oh, absolutely. Well, do you mind if I touch on another point? Cause that, sure. while that's like the athletic side, I want to actually kind of, especially for your audience, I want to tap into the professional side and just sure. Yeah. Limiting. Go for it. I remember that, as I mentioned, like some of my beginnings, my, my master's program was in social work and I was mm -hmm. so proud of getting into Boston university and that program at the time again, it was so prestigious. And I was so excited about what I was doing. And I will never forget, I went to a friend's house and one of the older siblings made a comment of like, you're never going to make money doing that. In social and work. I just rem in social yeah. work, or like being a, a therapist counselor yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I just remember having this full body like panic of, oh my God, did I make the wrong decision? Like, is that something I'm going to My whole career in the wrong trajectory. Like, yeah, like what just yeah. happened? I was so excited. And it, like, it I just remember that moment of, oh no. And that could have been something where I said, never mind. I could have dipped out. I could have just accepted that I'm never going to make a ton of money. I got news for you. Those agencies that are some of the hardest places to work in, you're not making much, especially no, if it's yeah. a nonprofit, um, not nearly enough. And I think they've tried to, you know, make that a little bit better. But again, mm -hmm. it's definitely not what is deserved in my opinion, especially having been through the experiences. Yeah. So I think just acknowledging like what can be such a deterrent can be a motivator. And I, that was also something I carried through with me is one that doesn't make sense to me that you can make such an impact for people and that you're not getting compensated appropriately. And the other being okay. like, I can make this my own where I'm getting my needs met so I can give that much more. Right. I, I love that. So you used the fear of what someone said as your motivator to say, that's 100%. not going to be me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's yeah. when fear works. Again, that's the informed piece of it rather than letting it deter you yeah. or, or contribute to avoidance. And, and yeah, and maybe it sounds, cause I've done this too. You know, I've had a lot of naysayers in my life about whatever choices I've made, you know, whether it was to go into a career not go into careers, stay in one, leave one, start a business. Like along the way, everybody has a different opinion about what you should be doing mm -hmm. with your life. But I really feel like if you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because you're doing it from a true place, because mm -hmm. this is what you want to do, not because you followed a career path or something that anybody else guided right. you towards, right. then you just keep going on that. Because when you show up, you know, as yourself and you show up authentically, you can make money doing anything, right? I, I, I truly believe it, but you can yeah. make more money or make money in a way that feels good doing what you love doing what mm -hmm. you feel is your calling. Absolutely. Um, and 
I agree with you though. I will comment. I have a friend who is a social worker and the type of work that she does, I it's, mm-hmm. it's severely undercompensated in the traditional oh, yeah. method. And right, it's, yeah. it is, you know, these are people who are helping people who are struggling in our society. And yet we're not like supporting them and or compensating them in the right way for the work that they're doing that none of, you know, that they're trained to do that is necessary. Like it's the same as teachers. There's a lot of professions that are severely undercompensated and Mm -hmm. what we value in in life is sometimes a little bit backwards. I find, Um, you know, like you can go out there making money, selling a, a tea and make billions and maybe it's great and it helps people. I mean, I love tea, (laughs) but you know, but but we're not compensating the social worker. But what I think is really interesting is there, this is why I love entrepreneurship. And this is why I love business because Mm -hmm. we can think about those problems and say, well, how can we make a better business model? So everybody does make money you know, and everybody is well supported doing what they love. Anyways, I won't, I won't go on a huge tangent, but I did find even like, for example, during COVID, there was this, a therapy app that came out better help. Yeah. And I just thought this is an amazing business model, right? Like, so there's things that can be done to say, we can, we can still make money and do good things at the same time. Right. percent. Um, Okay. So let's go back to, you know, why do you think it's important for us to be able to embrace failure? Yeah. I think like we said before, it can be a great informant. If it's informed failure and if you're, you're moving forward and something doesn't go as planned, it's just going to help you get on the path you want to be. Whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I know again, like personal example, I've gone into certain positions where I thought this was going to be a, you know, quote unquote, better thing or a better fit or, you know, a better experience. And it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I learned from that. I could have just said like, I, I screwed up or whatever, but instead it's just something that I think can re- truly inform you. And I think that, I don't think, I know that the some of the most experienced and, and successful in terms of not just making a lot of money, but being happy and content or whatever you're doing have experienced a ton of failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's yep. it's just really a way to kind of grow. And I think not giving yourself permission to do that, you're reinforcing f- avoidance fear, yeah. or like unhealthy fear. And you're really keeping yourself from these so, opportunities that could be absolutely life changing. Actually, I'd like to like dig in on that. What are we really missing out on then when we avoid, you know, this avoidance fear or, you know, avoid failure altogether? Like, what are we missing out on? when we do that freedom so much i mean Mm. sky's the limit with what we're missing out on honestly and i think the toughest part of that is you don't realize you're missing out on it until you're there so so many of us again we're willing to kind of accept this baseline or this reality and for the few of us i mean i even think of like maslow's hierarchy that that self-actualization that really we're talking about pursuing here they say most people never get there and that's yeah. so sad to me because no. like we can, we're, we're capable of it, but there are these limiting factors that we don't give ourselves permission to, to push through, or we don't ask for help in understanding how to navigate to push through because to your point, what are we missing out on? I mean, I, it could be anything. We could self-actualization, be on, right? That's the top right, of that. Like for yeah. sure. But it could be quality of relationship, could be quality of life, could be pursuing your passion. It could be 
I mean, anything from like small scale to big scale traveling could be like making your work exactly what you want it to be. It could be a million and one things. Yeah. You know, what's so funny when you said that, you know, when I first started out as an entrepreneur, I had this sort of backup plan that, okay, if mm-hmm. I don't make money within a certain period of time, I'll go back to corporate and I have my CA All of us and have I, that narrative. you know, and I have my MBA and I have my CA yeah. and I can get a job. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. So let me try this out. And now my biggest fear is going like, like not being able to be an entrepreneur. Like if I ever had to go back, like corporate before was like my safety, my backup plan, but I didn't fear it. I was just like, okay, now I fear it. Like, oh my God, if I ever had to work in corporate again. And so I use that as a way to say, no, this is why you got to keep doubling down on what you're Mm -hmm. doing and the path Mm -hmm. that you're taking. So you know, we're going to round out. I, I, you, you and I knew that we could probably do like, three oh, yeah. episodes about this. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting. Cause even when I did some initial episodes about failure, I ended up having to do two full episodes on it. Oh, it's yeah. just such a funny thing. So we'll definitely continue the conversation, but what are sort of your top tips maybe for people listening on how they can, you know, reframe or overcome, you know, fear of failure in their life? Yeah, I think like just a bit of a summary of what we were talking about is don't make fear your enemy, right? Don't make it this thing you can't touch or you just kind of turn off. Instead, like, you know, use it to inform you not to avoid situations. If you want to be better prepared, good. If you Mm -hmm. want to learn how to control a situation better, great. But let that move you forward. Don't let it again, don't let it drive the car. If you need to listen to it every once in a while, if it pops up, great. But you also have to understand that there's a time and place to know that this is a perceived fear. There's no actual threat and you need to move past it and use that to act opposite and move yourself forward. So, you know, hear it out. Don't let it control you. Mm -hmm. And then try to navigate like and don't don't fear failure again, especially if it's informed failure. Mm -hmm. That's going to move you forward. You're going to learn so much and grow so much from that. And the sky is truly the limit. I, you know, yeah. I get the question sometimes, like, what would you tell yourself before is like, go for it. I, yeah. and again, I'm not saying that we don't need the experience. Like we, we need all the things leading up to, but just like, don't limit yourself. Yeah. Truly you can have what you what you want to pursue. You just have I to agree. give yourself permission. I agree. And what I do to just like enhance that to say, okay, I'm just going to start. I'm going to do this thing. I picture, I do a visualization of what oh, it yeah. looks like on the other side. And I'm like, yep. Ooh, that's what life could be like on the other side of this. If you just mm-hmm. do this thing and yeah, that's that a huge nice. <laughs> motivator, right? A hundred percent. Whatever that yeah. is for you, right? Like for me, I have this dream of, you know, ta- you know, doing a Ted talk one day. And I like visualize that yes. sometimes when I'm going to do a podcast episode or I'm going to, you know, I'm like, Oh, this could, this could lead to that far. If you just keep right. doing this. Right. Yep. So, yep. um, okay. Because, you know, we do talk about entrepreneurship a lot on this, on this podcast. I'd love your advice for anyone listening, um, who may be thinking of starting their first business. Do you have any advice on that for them? Yeah, Absolutely. I would say take inventory of, you know, this is the performance consultant coming out in me, but take inventory of everything that's there. Okay. You are bringing yourself into every experience, into every chance, into every interaction, into everything that you are doing. So really just take time to take non-judgmental inventory of what else are you bringing into that? Because giving yourself time and permission to show up as the best version is where things are going to convert 
and where your success is truly going to happen, not just on the financial component or the, or the logistical component, but also emotionally. Because if you're just diving in and you're going through the motions, you're going to burn yourself out. Yeah. So you need to understand every aspect. And, you know, I think a lot of people in that entrepreneurial field, I'm doing all the right things. Why isn't this translating? Why isn't this working? Why aren't people seeing me? Is because we're not attending to like how, not just the what we're doing, but how are we doing it? Yeah. And I, I love that. So important. I, doing a little bit of an audit of mm-hmm. what else is kind of going on that might be either limiting me or maybe even helping. You can, sure. can yeah, you know. Um, because sometimes we forget all of the experiences we've had that make us uniquely us that can then inform how we do business or how we help others along the way, right. because we've now gone through something. And I, I always like to say, like, use your mess as your message, right? Like whatever yeah, you've like gone through is mm-hmm. what you can help others get through, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Oh my gosh. This has been so fun. Like I said, I would absolutely love to keep chatting about this, but what, we, what we'll do is we'll have to do a follow-up uh, down the road. So um, before we cap off, this is more me wanting, me being curious. I always like to ask my list, uh, my guests rather, uh, what they are listening to, you know, or reading. So do you have any good podcasts or books that you can share with us? Oh my gosh. Well, right now I'm listening to a whole bunch of different things, but Mm -hmm. I've been unapologetically recently into just learning more about human design. Apparently I'm a generator, which makes a lot of sense for me. Mm -hmm. So doing some of that, um, reading wise, I kind of fluctuate. I've read a lot of Kara Albaleba. Um, she does a lot of different books on just like self-improvement, self-help. I love Gabrielle Bernstein. Yeah. Um, so I do love reading in that line. Uh, this is another kind of, I guess, confession, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you're a Bachelor, Bachelorette fan, but <laughs> I've watched it back in the day, but not recently. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the gentlemen that had been on the show, uh, uh-huh. Jason, Jason Tardick, who is now okay. with Caitlin Bristow, is a huge fan of Caitlin, yeah. um, her podcast off the vine. So she, Oh, I, I know, know the podcast. I didn't know she was on the bachelorette. That's how she literally, that's how she like kind of came to be. And she's done a beautiful job of kind of branching out and doing her own thing. But I love that she incorporates mental health and that message. Mm. So kind of stuck with her and she ended up with him who is a business guy and now talks about entrepreneurship and just kind of unapologetically oh. pursuing. So that's like a fun line to follow as well. But I know these days it's like, there's not enough hours in the day to listen to all the good, the good stuff we want to listen to. Uh, well, Mia, such a pleasure having you here and thank you again. And yeah, let's have you back. I would love (laughs) that. I would absolutely love that. And if you're open to it, I would love to provide your listeners. Oh yeah. Sorry. I forgot about that. No, no. I have um, you know, we're talking about that first step, just building your awareness. I have a complete performance appraisal. It's like a little quiz. It gives you a little kind of different check-in points. It's not meant to induce shame or guilt or anything like that. It's just an awareness builder. And then there's like a little tracking card that you can start just taking notice of Mm. what's going on throughout your week, how to address it. And, you know, if you feel so called there, there are availability for consultation for brief consultation. I love that. And we'll put all the links for that, Mm -hmm. you know, assessment and booking a discovery call with you in our show notes. And then also just let people know how they can find you online. Yeah. So I'm mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn. 
Okay. And I am on Instagram. I'm at Livy Psych, but they're it's broken up between like the underscores. So L E underscore V I E underscore P S Y C H. And then on LinkedIn, I am Mia Gardner Zambrano. And I am actually also on TikTok as Sincerely Your Therapist. <laughs> so uh, you know, have to have to appeal to that audience as well and have a little fun with it. So I am I'm a little bit of everywhere, but I would say awesome. most readily Instagram and LinkedIn. You guys can certainly find me. Perfect. Okay. So we will link all of that in the show notes Mm -hmm. and yeah. Thank you again, Mia. Thank you so much for having me, Farah. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week.